This is episode 123 with Chuck Cadis. Welcome to The Athletic Mindset. I'm your host, Corey Camp, former Division I swimmer, forever athlete, and your personal performance coach, helping you find your flow. Today, I sit down with Chuck Cadis, founder of BodBox, which is the personal and portable solution to world-class training. Chuck is also an accomplished swimmer, having set an American record, earned multiple All-American honors, and becoming a national champion, all while competing for the Cal Bears in college. Chuck has always had a passion for more than swimming and athletics, though, having interests in both robotics and magic. He ultimately knew he wanted to bring these passions to life with the creation of BodBox, a personal robot that meets all of your world-class training needs. I've personally been following very closely Chuck's journey over the years. We're actually from the same area. I've always been fascinated by anything having to do with biohacking, so I knew we had to sit down and have this conversation. We dive deep into the tech behind BodBox today, why Chuck created it, and what he's learned along the way of building a tech startup from the ground up to launching next month. So let's get into it. Chuck, man, I'm excited to to dive into this here. We come from the same not same club team, but same area. You were a few years ahead of me. So definitely someone that I grew up watching, aspiring to be. You were at different events than me, but definitely played a role in, I guess, of just the sport in general, someone I looked up to. So excited for you to join us and have this conversation today. Most definitely. I look forward to it. How are you feeling first and foremost? Good. I'm doing great. We, we've got a lot going on with the project I've been working on. So I think we're in a similar a similar path right now, kind of having made that transition from athlete or you know pro swimmer to, to something very different. Yeah. But you know, I hope to talk about some of the lessons that were learned during that phase and how that's applicable to what we're both working on right now. And you know, I'm sure a lot of others are, are kind of facing. Yeah, man, absolutely. And I mean, to bring it back a little bit, Obviously, you grew up in the pool and you experienced a ton of success in it. What got you started in the first place? I'd be curious. So I'm sure you're familiar with, and maybe some others are too, with the summer swim leagues that go on in Northern Virginia or the DMV area. Yeah. And I think every kid in our neighborhood was a part of the swim team. So it was just kind of a thing that I fell into. And then... I was always super competitive. I, I know there are old videos of me and actually my twin sister competing, and you you see me in the film, and I'm jumping up and down behind the blocks, like six years old, you know, just ready to go. And then it pans over to my sister, and she's just like chit chatting with all the girls. <laughs> so you know, two very different people. But my point being is, you know, I always kind of had that competitive drive and ended up swimming well that season. And it was just, I think it was my mom that suggested, you know, hey, you've done this with limited to no training. What if you swam year round and really went after this? And I was playing multiple sports at that time, but swimming really kind of took off and I just stuck with it. Did you enjoy it for most of the career as well? I love that feeling. And I'm sure you've experienced this too, is when you're behind the blocks and you look over and know that everyone's about to put their their effort on the line, that feeling, it's kind of anxiety, but also excitement. And I realized over time that that's the part that I was the most addicted to. And I really enjoy that, even though it's a little bit, there's a little bit of fear or like anxiety during that moment. Yeah, I think it's something unique to the sport that was really, really fun. It's that nervous excitement of like you got butterflies in your stomach, but then also knowing that all the work that you did up until that moment prepared you for it. But there's still like this jump in performance that you get to go do then. Yeah. Um, and it, it lights you up. 
but nothing yeah, is given unknown. at the same time. Yeah, just like unknown. There's this unknown, which I think you're you probably experience as well in kind of going after a pursuit that's not the normal pathway. Yeah. It's unscripted, right? So like you don't really know how it's gonna work out. And I think some people love that feeling, others don't. But I was definitely I fell into that crowd that loved that experience and still do to this day of like not having a guideline, not having a set path and and kind of like, you know, for lack of a better explanation, like <laughs> diving into like the unknown for that second of second of time. Yeah. I mean, I think similar to you, like I, I crave that feeling because I know it gives me that freedom to flow into whatever is going to to come next. That yeah. was exactly what I felt when I decided to, to pursue the podcasting and the coaching and everything full time was it gave me flashbacks to pre 400 IM or, you know, like stepping up to the blocks. I'm like, Oh shit. Like it's time to, to do this thing. But like, that's what I loved about it too, right? Like there was no guarantee every time you dove in that a best time would be on the other side of that race. Mm-hmm. It was, you were kind of gambling and risking, you know, sometimes bigger risks than, than others, mm-hmm. but isn't that the entrepreneur game in of itself? Like you're, do you think those parallels of swimming and having the success that you had have helped you with building out Bodbox, the the project that you're working on, because I've been following it for a while. It's been what four years before now. Now finally, we're we're getting to product to market this year. Yep, there's got to be a lot of lessons in that journey. Yeah, September. I have quite a few stories, a lot of lessons, and you know, I was gonna say I think everyone spends time on Instagram scrolling through those random inspirational quotes that you see. Yeah, I saw recently that said never never bet against the man who's willing to put it all on black. Meaning like, I think my mindset has transferred from swimming, which is like, you're going to put it all on the line, even mm-hmm. into the unknown, no matter what, whether your training holds up or not, you're still going a hundred percent. You know, I think it's the same thing with, with Bodbox and that combined with the mentality that swimming teaches you, which is keep working no matter what, you know, you work for a full year for maybe a 10th of a second drop. And then you keep going the next year, which is insanity by definition. But that relentlessness combined with this approach of like, put it all on the line and just go for it. Um, that's allowed me to continue progressing over four years, keeping my head down, putting in the work and, you know, putting it all out there in order to get, you know, whatever it takes to get the product out to market. And now we're finally there. It's like a whole nother Olympic cycle, right? Like, yeah, it is. It's, putting your head I mean, down for four years. Fine more perfectly. (laughs) (laughs) I love that, man. I think uh, it definitely speaks volumes, obviously, the the level that you took the sport to. I mean, American record, All-American in college, being part of a story program at Berkeley and Harvard in their own right, definitely speaks to like, all right, when you're at that level, especially... I mean, you're lucky if you drop a tenth. It's it's probably more looking at hundredths and... What kind of lessons have you learned through that of just like, I mean, I, I know I, I can speak. It's like having improved a 10th in the mile one year. It's like, all right, great. That's what I was training for. Back to the drawing board. How can we improve another 10th or hopefully more the next go around at it? Similar experience to you or what's kind of helped you there? I had an interesting experience when I transitioned to Berkeley. Yeah. Because I got there with about a month 
or it was January, February, March. So like two months of training is all I had to go off of. And I was expected to step up for that uh, four by 100 medley relay. And I guess in my mind, I just assumed I was going to be on the relay. But in retrospect, that was a big deal to just kind of walk into the program and then get picked to to have that opportunity. Yeah. And I got up there thinking, there's no way I'm going to go faster than what I did at Harvard. I barely had any training. And I looked up, I remember the moment I looked up in the stands and then I see this whole group of alumni dressed in full bear suits, you know, probably had a few beverages and they're just going crazy. And my, my mindset shifted from myself to the environment that I was in and how important it was in that moment to represent that. And I kind of lost my fear and I ended up going two seconds faster than what I had ever gone before, which is like, for those listening, I guess in swimming, that's like a different athlete. That's not even, that's not you train for a season, you drop two seconds. That never happens. Mm. So I kind of shifted into this different level. And what that taught me was that environment is ultra important because you have a bunch of people around you that just expect to make the Olympic team you're likely going to make the Olympic team or you're going to be really close because it's just how people talk and how they act on a daily basis can shift your entire mentality and outcome dramatically. So it's something that we apply, you know, with Bodbox, even a lot of our team is remote, but as we get closer together, it's just creating that environment of, it sounds so cliche, but that environment of success where that's just expected Mm -hmm. and that's how people talk and that's how they move and that's how they do everything that's why they show up is to, you know, to be the best in the world. And there's something special happens when you're around a culture like that. Yeah. I think that's a perfect example of being plugged into something that is bigger than you. It's why I think the cows and the Texases are always seemingly now competing, you know, head to head at the end of the year for that national title, because everyone on both of those respective teams, like, is going to raise their level of playing to mm-hmm. be in alignment with that storied culture mm-hmm. over time. And it's just, it's really hard to build. So props on you of building out a team that's trying to mimic that, but you yeah. know how transformative it's going to be in the long run. Yeah. I mean, hopefully it's, I just took a lot of lessons from Dave Durden and sort of how he was methodical in setting things up and, even to the point of who he includes in the team. You know, we could have the fastest recruit, but if if he's not unique and a good fit for the program and has that humble kind of confidence, Mm -hmm. then it was a no, which is like to see, I saw that firsthand and it was kind of like, it is mind boggling because, you know, this kid could be the number one recruit in the country, but Dave says, no, 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 he's not a good fit. And like, it wasn't about time. It was like, he already knew the performance was going to be there physically. Yeah. So it's about like looking at the culture and how do you cultivate that and make it something where uniqueness is revered so that everyone plays their individual part, no matter how strange or different they might be. And we had some strange guys on like, they're some of my best friends to this day, but it was just guys are different. Like they're doing crazy courses or, you know, they play the banjo or they, you know, like just weird things. Yeah, that was kind of uh, celebrated. And I think that was a lesson that I took away from from that experience. It's better to say, that's what I've learned my years in the pool. We're a weird bunch all around. Maybe it's, uh, (laughs) yeah, there's some bias, I guess, in our bunch already. I I noticed 
you doubled down on it. It sounds like that. Exactly. Yeah. This is like the extreme, but I noticed that it was celebrated there, which was something different than what I had experienced previously. Yeah. Uh, and it made everyone feel important. Like they were really going to contribute no matter who you were. Do you so. think the culture also lended itself to those, those people being able to express themselves beyond just what they were doing in the pool, like lending to an overall better identity of like, wow, I'm Chuck the, the human rather than just their, you know, integral piece in their relay. Exactly. I, I remember the first time I was introduced to the team and Dave said something along the lines of, you know, we have this kid, this new kid, he's some genius from Harvard who does magic, but something tells me he's going to fit in perfectly. It's like, you know, Trent is over there taking like astrophysics and, you know, like, I think that was, uh, yeah, to your point, like we were humans, not swimmers. And when we realize, I think when an individual realizes that they're seen in that light, they end up performing better in their, in their task or their output, just because they feel that they're appreciated for what they are versus like trying to be a swimmer, trying to be something great. You stop trying and you just start, you just start doing. Yeah. You start performing from more of a place of alignment. I think what you started to realize when you made that shift in environment, and that's what a lot of people can benefit from, right? Is if they feel out of alignment, maybe it's a, a something as simple as switching your location or just switching who you're hanging around with that allows you to just step more into just being authentically you. And in doing so, you're able to raise your own game to that next level that maybe you knew was there or maybe you didn't even know was there. And it's even more fun when it, that's the case, right? You start to, I mean, did you have this idea that, all right, like you were going to be that good in the pool or was that kind of like just stumbled upon it almost because of the other success factors there going into it? I just knew I wanted to be as good as possible. And I think, I don't know if everyone has that or that's a learned trait or maybe how I was raised or whatever. There's a combination, maybe part genetics, part like, you know, everyone has a different makeup there, but I just knew I wanted to see how good I could be. And I think that's an important distinction is like with that mentality there was no limit to what I could be because I wasn't saying like I had to be the best I had to be this it was just this approach of like well let's see like I'm shifting schools I put everything on the line here no one ever leaves Harvard I think when I turned in my transfer form the administrator said this is fake I said what and she said I've never seen this form before where did you get it and I was like "Uh, you know on the website you have to fill this out as a transfer and she's like okay but I've, I've just never seen one before so I think it's uh, that mindset kind of pushed me to like, I just want to see how good I can be. And it took the pressure off, you know, because it was a surprise to me. I'd say I didn't expect to be that great, but I wasn't thinking about the times there. I wasn't thinking about, I was thinking more about the team and just like, you know, how I could could support that and hopefully see how good I could be. Yeah. What was that thought process like stepping away from a, a storied Pro, not just program, but overall, obviously, academic institution in Harvard and choosing like, hey, I'm going to go over literally across the country to join <laughs> Cal and, and these guys over here. What was that thought process like? I have difficulty in explaining a lot of my like when I see something that I want to go after, I just do it. I just don't do it. That's like the type of person I am is yeah. so I knew Harvard was amazing. It was my dream to be there. And still to this day, like some of the coolest people I've ever met, 
you know, with the greatest stories and they'll never tell you that they started some company and sold it for a million dollars or, you know, before they even got to school, like things like that, that you just learn about people. So they're really unique individuals. But that being said, I just kind of knew that I needed to, if I wanted to continue swimming, I kind of had this ultimatum, which was either I'm going to stop swimming and just focus on academics and building an education tech company I was building at that time, or I would go all the way in on swimming and just see how good I could get. And so I talked to my twin sister because she we're super close. So she always has good advice. And I told her like, Hey, this is what I'm facing. There's so much opportunity at Harvard, which is amazing. But I have this like lingering desire to just see how good I could get at this. And she said, why don't you look at, you never considered California schools. Like what about Stanford? What about, you know, I know Yuri, the assistant coach that we swam for growing up was at Cal. And I, I reached out to Yuri and it was just, he was just so matter of fact, he's like, you know, I believe in your work ethic and you know, I think you'd be a great fit here. So like, come visit if you want, or you can just come out, like, we'll fill the documents out and make it happen. And it was so easy that I just kind of flowed. It's like what you talk about with like your flow and you're just in it. Yeah, it was just like, it was one conversation. I was like, okay, I'll do it. And it, it wasn't this like big deal. It was, it was very difficult to speak to the Harvard guys and tell them what I was doing. Yeah. Because um, they were my like brothers at that point. But you know, a lot were supportive and I just kind of made the jump very quickly. So it's an easy decision, but also not an easy decision. Yeah. Oh, not at all. I, I was so stressed. That was the toughest to this day. No investor meeting or pitch or anything of that matter will ever compare to walking into the locker room and having these 20 guys who I respected so much, just like trying to explain like, Hey, this is, I want to jump to the next level. And this is what I feel I need to do. But, you know, a lot of them were supportive. Some didn't understand at that point. I think when we won the national championship, though, people, like, started to understand. Like, there was nothing you could say, like, okay, what are you going to say at that point? Yeah. Uh, but that was a tough day, for sure. Freaking Yuri, man, playing a, playing a role there. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's so cool to see what he's gone on to do since leaving the Curl Burke uh, and Cap space and kind of create his own his own way and his own right but i didn't even think of that connection that makes total sense now why cal kind of called your name out of all the schools out there yeah um and i never even considered cal but i did know there was such a story program and it would be such an opportunity to be there and you know yuri is i don't use the word lightly like i kind of joked earlier about genius like I, you know but he's like in terms of coaching ability and insight into the sport, like he knows his stuff. So yeah, I, I, he has, has a, he's had a lot of success. I think he deserves him even more. And we were so expectant of that. Like when he was, you know, he got this head head coaching job at Wisconsin. Like, yeah, it was like, we were looking at our, our clocks, like, wow, it's long overdue. Like that guy is, he really knows his stuff. So but he, he was at Cal what for eight years or so. Yeah. Yeah. And he played a pivotal role. Like, I mean, he trained a lot of our top dogs and I worked with him a lot, you know, in middle distance. So, uh, I mean, I had had the pleasure to swim for him at zones one year. Um, Nice. (laughs) Representing PVS back in the day. And I could tell, you know, those guys that like yourself, like having the pleasure to train with him more consistently, obviously showed. So that's great to hear. 
I, I want to, you touched on briefly, you're building an education tech company while an undergrad. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you've always had this entrepreneurial bug about you. What happened there? And then how did that morph into what you're doing now? Okay. So I remember the day when I decided I was going to do my own thing forever. I was sitting in this computer lab at Harvard and I had a roommate at the time who's still to this day, one of the most intelligent people I've ever met. And he would ace everything, like no problem. And I'm sitting there getting, I mean, it wasn't bad, but I was getting B's just consistently. And I was studying more and more and more and just doing worse. And I remember sitting there thinking, I could either devote my entire life to beating my roommate on this next test, or I could just make my own game and compete with no one and just like do something so different that... It wasn't even a a competition at that point. And it just hit me that that was what I, I built a nonprofit in high school. That was a magic thing where we would go perform magic for young cancer patients and then teach them magic so that they had something to kind of work on while they're waiting for tests and to keep them preoccupied. But that was my first experience. So I knew I kind of enjoyed that. And then I, you know, there was that day where it was just a decision. So I came up with this idea. It was basically a marketplace for tutoring. So instead of, I didn't have time to go to tutoring centers. And when I did, I would get matched with like, not the greatest tutor. (laughs) But the idea was you could post a picture or a question and tag it with a price tag of what you're willing to pay for this specific help. And then we would use an algorithm to match you with a student at your college who could answer the question and they would get a ping like a text or whatever and say, Hey, you can make 20 bucks answering this question right now. So it went really well. We partnered with Harvard student agencies, which was like the tutoring center on campus, but then the administration heard about it and they were not too pleased. (laughs) So I remember that meeting too. And I just could tell by the look on this woman's face that she was just not happy with what we were doing. (laughs) Yeah. Because, you know, to her point, it was selling education in this separate marketplace, basically selling answers. And I didn't deny it. I just thought it was a more efficient way. And yeah, so th- that taught me a lot of s- skills that have rolled into Bodbox. You know, one of the most important being like, and I know you do this with a lot of your social is just like talking as much as you can, talking to as many people as you can. I actually met the investor for that company. I was at a party and talking to this girl about the idea, of course, like I had nothing better to talk about. (laughs) And she said, I'll I'll never forget her words. She said, uh, you should call my dad about this. Like he would pee his pants over this idea. And I still remember it so distinctly. So I called him the next morning and he was like, well, how much money do you need? And I was just totally unprepared for that question. (laughs) So I made up a number on the spot, like a reasonable number. And he's like, okay, we'll wire it over tomorrow. I was like, what? Like this went from idea, passionate idea to like reality so fast. That wasn't necessarily the case with Bodbox, but it still taught me, you know, to talk to everyone and just spread the idea as much as possible because you never really know. So I love how you were disrupting the education space there for a little while. We were trying to, you know, I kind of lost passion for it when I saw how much red tape there was around it. Yeah. Um, And I, you know, at that point, I didn't know what I was doing. You know, you have resources, but we're trying these different things. And I think the only way, only way to really learn what to do with resources is to like test out a bunch of stuff. So we were doing Facebook ads. We were trying to do in-person stuff. Yeah. See what works. And, you know, now I'm in a better space where, you know, I kind of have a, have a sense of like 
how to apply resources when we do have them. Well, I think that's what's cool to see about your journey and hearing more about it now. It's like, you're not afraid to to go and play with it and try it out and see like what happens because you know, at the end of the day, like it's not a definite failure, you know, and it's just feedback to like, what's that next step. Just like if you go out and swim at trials and you don't make the team, it's like, it's not a failure. It's just feedback for what determines that next step. Like, are you going to continue swimming or are you going to build this out instead? Yeah. Has that helped you with that transition out of sport with figuring out like, Hey, this is what I want to do. And this is what I'm really, really passionate about beyond swimming. Did you feel like you covered everything you needed to in the sport? I did. I still, I mean, my goal was to make the Olympic team. So after that trials, I did switch up my environment. I went and trained with Sergio Lopez. Yeah. Uh, another, he's kind of like, Yoda like I swear he floats around the pool deck and he's just like says these little things that just get you to a point where you perform at your best in that moment but you know to your point I think reassessing and like you know looking at failure as feedback I was applying it from the start when I first had the bod box idea you know so I just missed the Olympic team and I think I took that to heart and it was a tough moment but I had this like drive to go create or like make something that people wanted Mm. So, and I had failed. So in my mind, I'd failed so big at that point. Cause I'd put everything on swimming. I wasn't doing anything else. I was swimming twice a day, like lifting, doing nothing else, but focusing on that. And I think I, I took that to heart as like a massive failure, but the benefit of that was that I lost my fear of failure, like immediately. Mm. Cause I realized it wasn't that bad. Like the worst part was that you felt that other people were looking at you differently But once I realized that they weren't like they were, they were like, hold, you know, excuse my like swearing, but like, holy shit, that's amazing. Like you're in the finals of the Olympic trials. Like, dude, do you realize how amazing that is uh, to to be that close? And of course I wasn't looking at it that way, but once I realized that there was no fear of failure, like even though I felt I failed, my family members and the people that supported me didn't see it that way. Mm. So then I kind of took that energy and I had this drive to create. So I put out the bod box as a Kickstarter and I cringed to even look back at the pictures that I put on that listing. Like, I saw them. <laughs> it's so horrible. And at the time I thought it was so cool. And so like, it was forward. It was a very, you know, an idea that hadn't been seen before, but I just, I didn't understand design. I didn't understand like what it took to really get a product out there, but that was okay. Cause I failed so fast. Like, I didn't even know how to build the thing when I put it out there. I just had this idea and people started backing it and buying them. And I was like, holy shit, I need to figure out how to build this. Like, I, don't, I don't even know. I, wasn't, I was not an engineer. I didn't know any coding languages at that point, but that failure just kept pushing me. So failure in a positive sense in that the feedback just kind of pushes you to the next step. And then yeah. I think it's so easy to look from an outsider perspective and be like, Hey Chuck, like you were, you were great, dude. Like you were in the finals of like trials, like you were this close, like it was great. But Mm -hmm. like when you're in it, it's much more difficult to be okay with, well, I, I did my best. Like I did everything that I could Mm -hmm. and we lose sight of something's great, but it's also great at like, there's, seven other dudes going mm-hmm. for that, you know, same spot, mm-hmm. getting their hand on the wall first. And when you're in it, 
in the moment, it's so hard to keep that, you know, in perspective of like, well, I can go a lifetime best time and get third mm-hmm. or, you know, or not win mm-hmm. gold. How did you kind of separate that in the moment? Or was that not really the case? Was it in the moment? Like- it wasn't separated. Like I, that was my first experience with like, like, I know we're not talking about it right now, but I think it's an important thing to discuss at some point. And I'd love to be an advocate for it is uh, like mental health. Cause yeah, I was like full on. I didn't even know what depression was. I thought that was kind of like a made up thing that people who were just lazy or whatever, like, but, I, but I experienced it like full on after that because I couldn't separate that. And I couldn't see from other people's perspective because when you're in it, like, you want to win. There's no other, op- there's no other outcome. But I think the important part of that was that I had an outlet to take that energy and that, yeah, to, to take that energy and apply it to. So, you know, like I, uh, with Bodbox, you know, I actually worked on other ideas before Bodbox. I did this Trump and Hillary satirical coffee. We sold out, got in CNN money because I spammed so many reporters that, like, <laughs> but it was just like taking that uh, disappointment energy, that negative energy and like transitioning it into something that would have value for people. So I wasn't able to separate it, but in retrospect, I think that was okay because I was lucky enough to like realize that I could take that energy and, you know, apply it to something, something else. Yeah, I think it's taking that pain and turning it into a passion of yep. like whatever it is. And that's one of the things I, I love about this show and everything that I'm doing. It's like the point is to really highlight like the things that made you great in the pool are very much still applying to everything that you're doing in life, even though you're not swimming laps twice a day anymore. Like mm-hmm. There's still value to the skill set and the time that you did put into the pool. It's just showing up in different ways. And a lot of us struggle to see those different ways mm-hmm. at first, or maybe even still years down the road. So mm-hmm. it sounds like you're, you're really seeing the progress and the, the parallels, which is awesome. Talk to me about Bodbox. I've, I've been following along early on, but for those listening in, what the heck is this great idea? Why is it revolutionary? Give us your pitch. Yeah, so it's an AI workout device. And what that means is it's something that could, you know, potentially replace your personal trainer. And it uses artificial intelligence to build optimized workouts for you. So without getting too technical, it uses one of the latest like computer chips that's available to run this AI that analyzes your pose. So while you're working out, it actually draws a map and will analyze each of your joints and your movements as you progress through the workout. Uh, basically in order to determine things that you would expect, like calorie expenditure, you know, measures of fatigue, but most importantly, like your form, like how well you're doing a movement. So you're going to see all these graphs of like, you know, rankings of how well you're performing, but it then applies that information and all the information about you as an individual to customize your next training session. So it gets smarter as you use it. And I think, you know, to not to jump back, but I was going to say, my disappointment when I didn't make the Olympic team stemmed from this belief that some of our training wasn't optimized. And despite how story to program and all the coaches experience in the world, you still have two coaches, you know, a strength coach and a head coach. And those are two humans looking at uh, your movements. So 
I kind of felt that maybe my strength training wasn't optimized for long course swimming. Um, and that's not to say anything against, you know, the training program there, or the coaches there, cause they're doing their best as humans. Yeah. But I kind of thought like, what if there's this way to analyze to analyze that movement and figure out if the training is actually optimal or better yet, create the optimal training from that information. So yeah, it's, I mean, we've had good traction so far with like NBA teams and some high-tech training centers in Singapore. So they're looking at it as a way to like track that movement through the course of a programming, you know, through the course of a season and figure out like, you know, if this guy lifts like this and then he takes 12 jump shots, where does he fatigue? You know, where does his movement lose perfect form? Maybe it's after jump shot 10. Then we know when he's in a game and he lifted like this before, we're going to put him out there for 10 shots and that's it. You know, or, um, you know, an athlete in Singapore training for, for the Olympics. Like maybe their body is responding poorly to certain training types because we can see in their movement quality. And then we can adjust that accordingly by the individual. So, it gives power to the coach to say, Hey, we're personalizing each and every thing here for every given athlete, no matter their body type or no matter their previous experience, we know because of data, what's best for that individual. So, yeah, and that's what I love about it. It's like, I mean, I can attest to it as far as at a school like Delaware, like mm-hmm. we got the, grad assistant, basically strength coaches that were, you know, they had their CSCS, but they also were responsible for not just the swim team, the rowing team that, you know, like they had multiple teams under their belt. They were overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. I mean, knowing what I know now about that space and science in particular, I'm like, they had no idea what they were doing, training swimmer swimmers of all, you know, people. I remember my first coach, telling me like I wasn't allowed to lift any heavy heavy any heavy weights because mm-hmm. I was in distance. Mm-hmm. She would have me like sitting on the bike uh, and doing more cardio uh yeah. during lift hours and I was like what? Like what is this? Like no my legs don't need to get any stronger. Like <laughs> I need yeah. upper body strength to become a little bit more efficient with my pole. And I think too to your point there of noticing when that breakdown is occurring because I think that's the difference maker between you know, the elite of the elite athletes, it's how they just have perfect form for longer periods of time mm-hmm. over the course of uh, whether it's a hundred meter race or 200 to mm-hmm. 1500, it doesn't matter if we're talking swimming terms, at least they're just able to keep that form more consistently over time. So I think that's awesome that you're highlighting that mm-hmm. with the project. Yeah, most definitely. And And to take it a step further, I think it's revolutionary from what exists because you look at like a, and and they're great products because they kind of open the door for something like this, but you look at Fitbit or a whoop or something that tracks. Oh yeah. They're awesome. Whoop here. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And they're they're tracking a lot of metrics, specifically heart rate, which is a good measure, but it's not always accurate in terms of like, it's not showing you how well you did a movement. Meaning that it's not capable of, for better or worse, it's not capable of like accurately telling you what movement to do next, or maybe what movement complements your movement style, which is something that we have the opportunity to do here with this data stream. So, you know, I look at it as like the next step forward from, from what exists currently. Yeah. How are you making sure that it's being data driven and not data dependent? And what I mean by that is like, I know people, 
Like that's my gripe with Apple watches and whoops in all of those. Sometimes it's like we have now become so dependent on the data having to be there to be like, Oh, I, I should go out and do this anyway. Like basically letting this run my life versus letting it just be a tool to amplify my life on a day-to-day basis. How are you kind of combating that with what you guys are building? Yeah. So most of that is in the interface, meaning like the app that Mm -hmm. is the companion app to the device. We've kept it super simple. So like I know Whoop and a lot of things, you can get lost in the metrics and like all these data points that drive you to do something. Whereas with our setup, you're scheduling your training times and that's just what you do. So you do what you do on a given day and then you can look at your metrics, but they're very simple, clean graphs and the priority within the app is the training itself. So that's like the homepage is like, here's your training. And that was something I picked up from Berkeley is like, we had, um, I think it was Bridge Athletics at that point, but you know, we had data sheets, but the, the core functionality there was like, what is your training that day? And how do you do it the best that you can that day? So like staying focused on the training mm. versus focus on the metrics. So we rarely use like, we had Tendo machines, if you know what that is, where it's like a, a strap that goes onto the bar and you can track velocity. Okay. They rarely let us use that because they knew that common like human instinct is to get roped into that, like who can lift the bar faster. And like I was 0.1, you know, I have 0.1 more power output than you on this lift, which is like, doesn't matter. Like on this day in September, you know, the 21st of September at three o'clock PM that you lifted 0.1% better than someone else. Like, Probably not, <laughs> but it did matter that we were doing specific movements that were like catered to our, you know, training style. So, yeah, I mean, it, it brings to mind images of people running around their living room late at night to close all three of their Apple watch rings. You know what I mean? It's like, all right, we might be creating an unhealthy relationship with the data that we're receiving. If that's kind of the mentality that we're, or the relationship that now we've developed around our stand goal or our move goal for the day. I think it's good to have these tools as intentions to shoot for Mm -hmm. rather than being like the end all be all of like, you're not enough if you don't reach all three of your goals for the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, most definitely. I like, I, you know, we thought about this. I think we've taken, obviously we've had some time here over the past four years (laughs) to take like a very methodical approach to, to how we design things. And, um, but that was something from the start is like, I look back at the first version of the app I coded. It was horrific because I barely knew how to code (laughs) and it looks so much better now. But, you know, from that point, it was like, all I wanted was we actually used icons. We didn't even use data streams that you could see. It was just Mm -hmm. icons. So like, if you do well, you get a gold medal, you know, you're second that day, you're silver. So it was like keeping things very simple. So it was almost like felt more like a game where the focus was on your training and less on that data. But it's it's good you brought that up because it's something that we've definitely thought about over these years. Yeah, I think there's no right answer. I think it's just finding that balance of like yeah. what makes sense there. I'm excited, man. It's You guys launch officially. You're on pre-sale right now. September is the the target release date of things. I'm excited to see the continued growth of the company. I got the fast five for you here. Five quick questions, one word or one sentence answers, rapid fire. What's number one is what's your go-to podcast that you're listening to? 
Darknet Diaries. We haven't gotten that one. I elaborate on it, but the reason I got into coding was because I was super interested in cybersecurity and hacking. So I won't claim to be anything, but definitely just a purveyor of interesting dark web stories. So I love it, man. Number two is what's your go-to or favorite book that you've read in the past year? I actually watched a movie of it, but I, I need to refresh on the book, Think and Grow Rich. They just put out a new film about it, which is pretty inspirational, and they have a lot of great people. Um, it's definitely something you should check out. So yeah. Think and Grow Rich, yeah. You might have just determined my Friday night plans here. Nice. Uh, nice, man. Number three, what is a quote that you live by? Oh, that's a good one. Wow, I'd have to look up my quote list. <laughs> or, or just a mantra that you kind of have every single day. I think it's, so one of my role models is David Blaine, the street magician slash yeah. performer. And I actually got the chance to perform with him. And one of the quotes that he said is along the lines of like, as humans, we often don't realize our limitless potential. So basically the point being like, never set boundaries on what you're capable of doing because you just actually don't know. Yeah. You got to step into the unknown though to figure that out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Number four is what's something that you can't live without? Coffee. Is that a sad answer? <laughs> a common one on here. <laughs> can't fault you there. Number five, what's your one word focus at this point in time? Modbox. There we go. We'll plug yeah. it. Chuck, first and foremost, man, just want to say I, I want to acknowledge you for the persistence and the grit. I mean, like I keep saying like having followed the original kickstarter when that that came out 2017 right when i finished undergrad myself having come from the exercise science background it was like this is so cool to see a fellow swimmer doing this and then honestly i hadn't heard of it until cyrus you know put us back in touch a few weeks ago and i was like that's so freaking cool that like four years later, you're still pushing this thing and to see the progress that you've made. So keep doing your thing. Keep being persistent. I see you even from the other side of the country here. Yeah, Where can those listening in kind of keep up with you, keep up with Bodbox and all things that you're doing, man? Yeah, I think the best is our Instagram at the Bodbox. T-H-E-B-O-D-B-O-X. And then our website has the most information, which is bodyxrobots.com, as in bodybyrobots.com. And yeah, there's a contact form. It goes straight to our team. So definitely anyone interested should, should check that out. Awesome, man. Appreciate the time. Yeah, same here. It was awesome. And definitely keep doing your thing too. It's great to see. Appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time to listen. We would love for you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts with your biggest takeaways from today's episode and check out Chuck and what he's doing with Bodbox at his website as they launch next month. Remember, if you can change your mindset, you can change your life. One thought followed by one action at a time. I will see you all on Monday for a deep dive into pursuing curiosity for flow.